what can you learn about faith, doubt, and life from watching horror films? We discuss this and more with special returning guest Tyler Smith on this episode of The Overthinkers. Hello, thinking people's thinking people. Welcome to The Overthinkers, home for the creative intellectual. I'm your host, Joseph Holmes, filmmaker, film critic, courageous coward. And with me, as always, is my horrifyingly hospitable co-host. Nathan Clark's an actor, author, filmmaker, and um, yeah, horror, horror film lover. I mean, it depends on the <laughs> definition, but uh, I, I should say I really like scary films. I like being affected after a film, and I find that very often the genre does that. So yeah, okay. That's a long way to say scary movie lover. Cool. Awesome. And uh, today, we have, fittingly, we have with us a very special returning guest, one of our very first guests on the show, in fact. He is a film critic and host of the podcast Battleship Pretension and More Than One Lesson. He is the maker of the documentary Real Redemption, which traces the history of American cinema's relationship with faith-based communities. He teaches film history and aesthetics in Los Angeles, California. His new documentary, Valley of the Shadow, the Spiritual Value of Horror, will be available on the Rediscover channel at the end of October. He is the terrific, the tenacious, the terrifying Tyler Smith. Tyler Smith, welcome back to the show. You can throw tired in there if you want. Uh, and not 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 even because of like life stuff, like being a, a father of two and all that, but just like your intro. I can see like you're building yourself up, but it just drains everybody else. Um, see, I'm here to bridge the energies between both you of go. you. We had the high, the low, and then there's me exactly. wrestling to keep the energies together somehow. Yeah, yeah. You're doing the Lord's work. Perfectly balanced. This whole thing should be. Yeah, I feel so. I feel like I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I like to think that I'm, I'm building everybody up. And don't correct me because I like to live in my delusions. Ignorance is bliss. Um, so anyway, well, yeah, we were just actually talking about the fact that you were, Tyler, you were like the first guest we had on that was not like just like a personal friend, like near, near, living near us on our oh, show. Oh, living near you. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah living near you. In close proximity. In close yes. proximity. Okay. Yes. So I was so. going to say, it's like, I like to consider us <laughs> best friends. Oh, of course. Oh, my. Of well, course. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, yes, of course. Obviously. Um, <laughs> if your intention was to shoot an arrow through my heart, Well, anyway, now, I, now that I know that now I know that, uh, you know, you guys don't think uh, think so. I'm going to have to redraw my will. <laughs> oh, shoot. That was oh, well. on my next movie. Yeah. Oh, I think I don't think it, I don't think it would have. <laughs> well, anyway, we're glad to have you back. So that's particularly to talk about, you know, what we can learn about faith and doubt from horror films. Very excited about that topic. But first. If people today enjoy this episode, Nathan, where can they go to support us and engage more with us and our Overthinkers community? They can go to the overthinkersjournal.com where they can find out more about the hosts, the episodes, some articles, and some live events we have coming up, both in the fall, the spring, and the summer. We're so excited to see you guys live in person in New York City. So we'd love to have you at those. So check out the overthinkersjournal.com uh, to stay up to date. You can also go to the Overthinkers Facebook group. It's a private group where we have memes and articles and discussions. And now we have over 1,100 people on there. It's a lot of fun, and we'd love to have you there. Um, and if you enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review it really does help us so much and share with a friend 
Awesome. Also, Tyler Smith is a part of the uh, Overthinkers private Facebook group. So you can. You might be blessed by a, re a response to precisely. one of your comments. Precisely. I feel like I don't engage very much on there, do I? <laughs> Once in a while. Once in a just while. When, just when needed, I've noticed. Yeah. Just when, when Batman <laughs> is called. Yeah, I've I've said I've said before the best possible way to get me to engage with any Facebook post is to talk about VidAngel, um, <laughs> and that is the one. Like you can talk about politics all day long, and yeah, it might frustrate me, but I might like or like do the angry face or whatever. But like, you want me to actually say something? Just talk about like, oh, this wonderful service. Finally, I can watch movies with my family. Finally, I can watch this movie that oh, uh, that I that, always wanted to. That, I've heard this talk. It's a good talk. We'll, we'll we'll have that'll be another one of our our episodes with you. Have you back to talk about VidAngel? That what's oh, wrong boy. with editing out the sin in modern exactly. films? But but before we get to I got Smith myself angry that, talking about it. <laughs> before we get you to must Tyler be Smith a film reviewer. That, exactly. Um, right. Let's so let's talk about horror today. So religion and the horror genre have a long history with each other. From the very beginning, subjects of horror books and films like demons and witches and vampires have often had their chief enemies as priests and weaknesses as crucifixes and holy water. The Exorcist, a 1973 film about two priests fight to save a girl from demonic possession, is one of the highest grossing horror films of all time, adjusted for inflation. And some people have credited it with bringing them to faith. Yet this relationship between faith and horror is sometimes uncomfortable. Christians oftentimes stay away from horror films because of the dark content, while secular audiences are sometimes uncomfortable with religious content. A.J. Romero wrote in an article for Vox titled, Why I Felt Betrayed by Netflix's Midnight Mass, talked about how horror is a natural refuge for atheists and sinners, but that the religious content in Netflix's Midnight Mass made her feel, quote unquote, erased. Tyler Smith. What does why does religion have such deep roots in the horror genre? And what can the religious and non-religious learn about faith and doubt from horror material? Well, that's a big uh, that's a big question. Um, I do think that, you know, when horror by its nature, it's dealing with with juxtaposing ideas. Um, hmm. It can be like good and evil, beauty and ugliness. Hmm. Um, cowardice and bravery, like all of the like these two things. Uh, and it it puts everything don't get me wrong there's there's plenty of subtext in horror movies sure but right. the the themes of like good versus evil um are put that are are often put right there yeah. uh, for everyone to see and so um and because these films often and i'm painting with a broad brush obviously but like because these films often take a, a, i think an unblinking look Hmm. at evil and the fact that sometimes evil wins maybe not necessarily in the long run but even like throughout right I, you know if you're watching a friday the 13th movie like jason is vanquished at the end uh, until you know the next movie, the next movie but whatever yeah. uh but along the way he kills a lot of people and so like it would seem he would seem to be in control, he would seem to be the one that has the real power, whereas the forces of good um, are just uh, are just too weak. Um, and so, I think that uh, so I do think that certainly you can watch these films, and because uh, because good and evil, and and you can say you know right and wrong, or God and Satan, whatever you want to say, um, because it is. 
often visualized or or uh, openly discussed, I think you can you can find a way as a Christian to embrace these movies. Now, obviously, not every film, and this is a big part of the documentary, not every film uh, has like the the supernatural or spiritual aspect to yeah. it. Sometimes it's just man versus man. Sometimes it's it's you know man versus nature, all that sort of thing. Um, but I do think that uh, that even within those, you will find pretty common themes, even with movies mm. as overt as The Exorcist or Rosemary's Baby or something like that. Um, but I do think that a lot of the reason that, that Christians have a hard time with horror is because there is this tendency to believe and it's not even just in, in Christian circles, just in circles in general, there is this tendency to believe that the moment you depict something on, on the big screen or the small screen on television sure. or whatever, the moment you depict something, you cannot help but glorify it. That mm. it's just, it's just automatic. It's the same reason uh, that people, there, there are people who've said that there's no such thing as an anti-war movie. Oh, now I don't, ag good. I don't agree with that, but there are people that, that have said like, the moment you depict war in any kind of cinematic terms, you can make it look as horrendous as possible. You know, it's like the beginning of Saving Private Ryan, you can you can make it look awful, but you're also blowing it up to monumental uh, proportions. And by adding in music and all that, it it can you can try and be as anti-war as possible, but it still could for some people look heroic. Uh, and all that sort of thing. And I think and that's a good comparison. That's a good comparison in terms of the conversations oh, yes. around it. Yeah. And so I, so, you know, while I don't agree that you can't, I, I don't agree that uh, an anti-war movie is impossible. And I also don't agree that to depict something automatically glorifies it. But I do want to at least entertain the notion that there is power in a, in an, when you decide to visualize something. Sure. Yes. Um, you know, one thing that that uh, Christians often say that Christians that that we tend to agree with about film and about art, something that they always say is uh, if you were to make the Bible into a movie, it would be rated R. And I agree with that. It would be. Should be. Um, yeah, yeah, yes, it should. <laughs> be. Um, but often what people say is like, yes, that's true. Uh, I want to make sure I, I say this right. You can read something and yes, uh, your own imagination will do the work and maybe it could wind up much, much worse than, uh, than what somebody might visually depict. But at the same time, you can write that, oh, this person uh, is walking around naked. You can just write that down. Hmm. Writing some, and, then, and then somebody might visualize it, uh, but it will stay a little bit, uh, it'll stay a little bit vague. Uh, yeah. whereas like once you decide to visualize that, it's like, that's it, that you have to get an actual actor. You need to take off their clothes, put them in front of the camera and there it is. And so, uh, so I do think that, that there is a, there is a difference between, uh, what's the, between like written art and visual art of, of really sure. any kind. Sure. And so, uh, so I do want to. And honestly, I don't think I really do this in the documentaries. I do want to at least acknowledge that that Christians going into horror movies with their guard up a little bit uh, are I at least see where they're coming from. Sure. Um, 
the the issue for me is at least they're going into the at least those Christians are going into the film. There are hmm. plenty of people who would say like, I just don't see those because I don't like to think about those things. I don't like to see those things. Sure. Uh, as my as my mom would say, you know, I don't like to see that kind of ugly stuff. Uh, Very often it's a judgment on you too. It's if you do, you're probably not as good of a yeah. Christian or a diva. But and it's I think it's a cultural. But that is an interesting. I'll, I'll let you finish. That it's interesting. Um, zeroing in on what the problem is glorifying. Cause I've heard that reflected yeah. a lot of times. Oh, absolutely. And, and honestly, like if you do watch th there are some horror films that don't have a great deal of depth. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, for example, and even from a stylistic standpoint, um, because it's, it's Halloween, there are all kinds of things that, or it's the Halloween season. There are all kinds of movies that I watch. And one thing that I enjoy is, there were like these twin dot twin like super long documentaries. One was about the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, mm -hmm. uh, and the other is about the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And there, each one is like five six hours long because uh, wow. they go movie by movie. They interview everybody. It's a, it's really comprehensive and it's really interesting. But one thing that I find fascinating is that for the first Friday the Thirteenth, the director literally said, "I wanted to rip off Halloween." Hmm. I you hmm. know like. And, and he does and mission accomplished. Um, <laughs> and he was just, he was more grotesque with the, the, the uh, violence and, and gore. And I think that's, that caught people's attention as opposed to the original Halloween, which I think it, there's very little blood. There is yeah. violence, obviously there's very little blood, very little gore, but, and, and a lot more style, whether it be yeah. in the music or just the, the, the pacing that John Carpenter has, whatever it is. Um, so, you know, the, with the Friday the 13th movies, I would say those films don't have a great deal of thematic value. I would not judge somebody for enjoying them because there is, because you might just really enjoy the slasher genre. And those films are great examples of it. And whether it be like trying to create fear or whatever it is, uh, there is still stylistic stuff that a person can learn yeah, sure. from those movies or just engage with, with those movies. But but I do, uh, you know, I do want to say that like they're to paint every horror movie. And I think I probably did, too, when I was much, much younger uh, to paint every horror movie as just, you know, completely superficial and completely yeah. shameless and all of that, I think is is extremely wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's true of everything. Like you can't say that every drama is worthwhile and no. you can't say that every horror is not worthwhile. Well, also you have movies, you know, you have the romance genre and Joseph, you were saying this earlier, there's bad examples of movies in every genre. There yeah. are romance movies that totally objectify people. And there's also ones that explore the intricacies of love and intimacy. Yeah. And so the same thing goes for horror. Yeah. There are great examples and bad examples, but you can't continue with the all horror movies are bad. Right. Because if you show something, you glorify it. And that's a really interesting concept to me because one of the things that draws me to the horror genre or the scary genre, the thriller, whatever you want to call it, is what you were kind of uh, describing. And it's not that there's a lack of nuance in character development all the time. It's, there's a lot of nuance still in the in the cinematic value and how they shoot it, how they write it. But one of the things, one of the reasons I watch horror and enjoy it is the same reason I like comedies is because they're stripped more to their basic elements that and they're more plainly shown. And that's something yeah. that I really enjoy every now and again. It's like, yeah, it kind of has the Western genre in there in which uh, when humans are just, it, all, the um, the concepts that they're exploring are more plainly seen. They're not yeah. as 
subtle and I love subtlety, but I also like, like horror for the exact opposite reason. Um, and so I think that horror has this unique ability to talk about things in more explicit way, and even yeah. sometimes more of an entertaining way. It can deconstruct and um, explore the concepts of evil and goodness without, um, I hesitate to say this because I love nuance, but without so much nuance getting in the way. I know that sounds funny, um, but I, I think sometimes, uh, even though nuance is great in many respects, horror movies have this ability to say, this is evil and this is good, which is going to win. And I think those are really val valuable things to have in a genre, um, being able to plainly speak about the concepts at play. And, uh, and to your point about if you show something, you must be glorifying it. I do understand the um the concept of that. And I appreciate the worry, even I'm not going to uh, belittle or dismiss it. Um, but I also think when you show something, you can also show the reality of something. When you visualize something, you can show the reality of something. Uh, you can, you can have, I can all day long tell you how beautiful my wife is. And my wife is so beautiful. She's just gorgeous. Oh my goodness. She's so beautiful. And you'll go, okay, that's great. But when you see my wife, uh, and speaking just generally, when you see something, then you, oh, that's beautiful. You encounter it. And so if you can talk about the, um, the terribleness of evil or darkness or whatever all day long, and we can understand on a, um, conceptual level, right? We can understand that evil is bad. Oh, that sounds bad. But when you see the evil envisioned on screen, it becomes more visceral and more real and you have a bigger reaction to it. And so I, that's what I think is one of the strengths of um, horror movies. And that's why I don't necessarily think that everything shown is glorified. I, I think that anything shown brings a more visceral truth to it. And I think sometimes when you show something, especially evil, you can actually see more powerfully how evil it is. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. an uncomfortable feeling, but I think it's when we also have to grapple with is to reality, realize the reality of how dark something is, how evil something yeah. is, and see it juxtaposed with the light, um, which is also something you can show more viscerally true. I think, I think that's, a, that's an excellent point. I think that, you know, one thing you both have talked about is the contrast and how you can actually talk about things really well in the horror genre because they get so explicit. I was one person, that I, for, keep, I forget who it is, who said that um, the best, uh, that I, it was somebody who was uh, running a, who was a, a talk show at one point who said that the best letters that I, well, the worst letters are ever I ever get are from people who put their PhD in front of their name on their letter because they really want you to know that they're an expert. Um, but mm. the best letters that he gets are people who are on death row mm. um, because mm. there's something about being face-to-face -face with the darkest possibility, you know, which is death, you know, which puts everything very clearly into focus. And that's one thing horror does, is it puts us face-to-face -face with the things that most scare us, whether it's death, whether it's loss of identity, you know, whether it's, you know, all those things. And so it does make it so the story forces you and, and makes people more willing to engage with, because putting you in that place, more willing to engage with deeper topics like, you know, good and evil, whether, or, you know, again, God, faith, religion, any whatever deep topic you want to talk about, that because it puts us face to face with the things that scare us most, makes us more willing to put us in a headspace, so we can we can do that. And I think that that's that's one of the things I like. Again, you brought up uh, westerns and then comedies; those are also things where again, because westerns, because society is stripped down, then you get to see mm -hmm. people at their most basic, and then you know comedies. So, so I think that that's a value in. A really great value you guys have pointed out in that. I also think that you make an excellent point to uh, 
there's a book, the films of Christoph Kozlowski. I think I'm pronouncing his, his mm. name correctly. Yeah. Um, and that talked about, and the book was really great because it talked about that difference between cognitive understanding and non-cognitive mm. understanding and yeah. that visuals often hit us in the, we understand it before we think about it. And that's the thing yeah. is that, that's the difference is that, you know, with words on a page, like the Bible, your understanding first comes thinking about, it. okay, I'm thinking about this and then I'm able right. to filter it through and my thinking. Feel it. But yeah. then with films, you actually feel it before you think about it. And that means the experience is kind of outside of your control. And that is itself a more scary thing, which is why I'll be like, I don't want to have this experience that I can't control when it is something that is so, um, which has such a connection to evil. Yeah. I think it is a, is a part of it. Um, but that is true. I think Tyler Smith, to your point of it, even if that's something to be concerned about and maybe be selective about movies like that, if you aren't doing that, you aren't getting the chance or the opportunity to actually see films that will put you in a place to actually really more wrestle with the light end of that, the, 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 the positive aspects of that, that are, that are there. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, that's the thing is, is talking about it hits you one way. Like if, if you're reading something, you're reading the words, you're, of course, you're not consciously doing this, but like you're putting all the words together in the, in the sentence and then contextualizing it in terms of the paragraph and the chapter and the book itself. Like you are thinking about it in a very specific way. Yeah. It's not necessarily hitting you on an instinctive way, Yeah, uh, in an instinctive way. And with film, it hits you first. I uh, like I, I've said before, like film is first an emotional experience. Now, yeah. granted, there's plenty to intellectualize, maybe all, maybe like a split second later. Yeah. But I do think and again, I'm painting with a broad brush that but for the most part, uh, a lot of Christians that I have met that sure. have that take issue with horror. Um, oh, boy, they they tend not to be big movie people in general sure mm. and the movie and the movies that they do see are ones that they aren't really interested i'm not going to say they're not able i think they are but they're not interested in in going that going one level deeper like sure they they want to feel what they're going to feel and then they move on yeah um, as opposed to trying to interpret that feeling what the director wants you to do with that feeling and how that plays into the larger piece and so and that sounds i'm not calling people dumb and i'm not calling people i might be calling them lazy a little bit uh, but it also just comes down to like what why people go to movies sure. why people engage in art and i have i have encountered a lot of people uh that are christians and and often people that are uh, politically conservative. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's where I am. And, and so I tend to have my work cut out for me when talking about <laughs> film, but just the sheer number of people that have said that like, well, movies are entertainment. Hmm. And sure. yeah. And if a film is ugly, if a film makes you feel bad, if only for a moment, well, that can't possibly be entertaining. So the film is doing something wrong. Your expectations uh, are doing something. It's like, Oh, this, this filmmaker apparently didn't get, uh, hmm. get the word that he was supposed to be making something that was fun or maybe sad, but it's sad in a good way and that kind of thing. Um, and so I do think that that your definition of what film is and maybe your definition of what art is also comes into play. Because in my experience, when people are more interested in art as a way of exploration, uh, oh, sorry, a way of exploring who we are, yeah. what we are, what we're capable of, what yeah. we've done, all of these things, um, 
they are not quite so easily put off by depictions of ugliness, depictions of, of evil. Well, I also think there's an element to play here, and I, I keep on hearing this um, phrase, which is toxic positivity. And uh, <laughs> ah, interesting. Oh, and yeah, I, and yeah. I think this might be, and this goes a little bit to what we were talking with earlier about um, displaying things, displaying evil things. But I think there is a little bit, especially within the Christian world, I've noticed the Christian art world, a little bit of the stick your hands and ears and la 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 about anything that's yeah. wrong in yeah. the world. I'm not mm-hmm. talking, especially in Christian arts, very specifically. And I, there's a lot of different reasons, and you can you know um, read many articles on this uh, by pretty much all of us here. Um, but I do <laughs> think that there's a a need when we go to in the Christian community, when we go to our art, we don't want to be reminded about how bad the world is. We want happy. We want fun. We want sweet. And we have this term. We talked a little bit about this earlier, uh, family friendly. And Mm -hmm. it's funny how interested um, usually parents are in movies being family friendly, even without kids, because they don't want to have to engage with the dark realities of the world. And I think that there's something in horror movies that put the dark reality. By the way, reality is what God asks of us to face reality but horror movies put dark realities in our face and say this is what darkness looks uncovered obviously their their metaphors obviously their parable like you know we don't actually we're not actually fighting monsters or whatever it is but horror movies lift that veil of ignoring the darkness in the world and say no the character in this and you um via them are going to have to face this evil darkness and i think that's actually pretty biblical to be completely honest you know if you read scripture if you read from genesis to revelation you have these crazy depictions of evil and and i mean oh my god because that's where we get the beast from and then lakes of fire and all of a sudden we're like oh horror movies they're they're too dark and gross no i think all through scripture you see this god is trying to um help us and see how um dark the world can be and how we're going to confront it and that's what i think horror movies do for me is it actually encourages me funnily enough when i watch a lot of horror movies because i go i can see the evil personified and i and in a metaphorical sense i want to see good rise up over it um or at least try and so that's something that that draws me to scary movies because evil is more plainly personified and the toxic positivity is everything has to be happy isn't here. We can finally see the reality of the darkness and light and the battles going on in the world. And that's why I like scary movies. And I think that's a value that I think Christians should lean into, not run away. It's, that's really interesting. I would, I would like to sort of get um, Tyler Smith particularly, and, and uh, uh, but also just uh, generally kind of uh, talk about that. Like, cause you know, I think we all, we talked about before, there's a way to do, you know, horror that it is sort of everything that people bad that they think it is, that it's glorifying what is evil. And there is a way to do it that's not glorifying what is evil, but depicting it, exploring that. I'd like to see about like Tyler Smith talk about some examples of both and and ways that you see that done. Like what are some examples of you see it done where it does glorify it. And so that's what it looks like when it's glorifying it versus examples of you seeing it done where it's not glorifying, but it's depicting it to help us explore so that people, if they're listening to this and they're saying, okay, but what's the difference? What does that look like if I go? And what are some of the ways that this can help, can help me explore these things in a positive way? Yeah. What are pra- maybe practical examples of horror actually yeah. teaching us about God and, and oh, sure. reality, that kind of thing. So, um, I mean, I mentioned the Friday the 13th, the 13th series already. Mm-hmm. When you, right. when you get, you know, when you get to something like Jason X, where Jason has gone up into space and <laughs> like, and, and nanotechnology has like 
upgraded him. It's like, no, he's an organic being. I know that there's, it's weird to like, how do organic beings get upgraded? Nano machine, son. Oh, okay, like that. I see. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. But, but yeah. And so I, so it's stuff like that where, you know, Hey, I get it. Like sometimes we all just enjoy like a good comedy. And frankly, at this point you get to something like Jason X and the, the, the kills, I, they scratch the itch of, of comedy, maybe even more so than mm-hmm. horror, but, and by the way, like, it's one of the reasons why horror and comedy tend to go together so well, because like yeah. screaming and laughing are involuntary responses anyway. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah. And so I do think that like the, the Friday, the 13th, the, ter- the 13th series, pardon me. Uh, it does obviously like there is a stylistic value to, okay, uh, we need to shoot these in a very specific way so that the fear is, is amped up. The anticipation is amped up. So it, it's not that there's no, uh, merit to it there can be and i know plenty of people who are big horror fans and they love the friday the 13th series and so uh so not to put anything uh, on them but like that is a series that was just only ever really about the the creativity of the kills and anticipating uh sure. the death the deaths of of these characters and then allowing the characters to be essentially two-dimensional so that when they die, you don't really feel anything. Mm, you don't, you certainly yeah. don't feel anything about the fact that their life is over. You feel what you feel is, Oh, that was a cool death. Um, um, and that trickles yeah. and that trickles down to the production and the actors as well. Yeah. Uh, the actors mm. are like, Hey, I just want to die. Cool. Um, <laughs> and so, and I, I, I get that. It's probably a lot of fun to make. And especially from the special effects artists, I'm sure they're having a blast. So uh, so again, I don't mean to to denigrate those films, but I do think they are an example, along with a number of other slasher movies. Although I do think that the Nightmare on Elm Street series does uh, does other things because Freddy is is powered by people's fear. So now you're having sure. him trying to make people afraid uh, within their dreams and, and that kind of. So now you're actually you are exploring something mm. a little bit more uh, on a deeper level, something a little bit more intellectualized, and that's not that's not surprising given that the first one was directed by Wes Craven. Uh, and I think he's always been a little bit more thoughtful than a lot of other horror filmmakers. But anyway, um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a little, I have a hard time just, just dismiss being dismissive sure. of like an entire series, because obviously there are also little, there are entries within even the mm. most mindless of, of film series that's sure. like, Oh, someone's trying to do something. That's good. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that that tends to be my my go to. Sure. I know that uh, something that so I have kids now and that's a relatively new development. Uh, they just turned one and I and I knew it's just like, well, I just know based on my own experience as a person that whether it be like falling in love or losing a loved one or whatever it is like these life experiences will shape the way I approach film. It's just, mm, a, yeah. it's, it's unavoidable. Yeah. Like it would be silly of me to say like, well, I'm still going to love these movies that endanger children, even if I have children. <laughs> yes. Now I'm, I, I still do, but you do look at it a little bit differently. And I remember uh, Gene Siskel, the, the late great film yep. critic, uh, one yep. of one of his biggest pet peeves was not the endangerment of children, but the endangerment of ch- uh, of children just kind of for no particular reason, just to kind of sort of, sort oh, of super, to superficially up the stakes. You to know, use uh, them as props, yeah. essentially. So, like, I 
I watch and, and I totally get that now. Yeah. Uh, so like I, I recently watched, uh, rewatched Jaws, uh, a film that's, it's my third Classic. favorite movie of all time. I've seen it a million times. Now uh, an eight year old boy gets killed by a shark in that scene. Mm-hmm. And that it, it, it it could be used to illustrate a few things. One is that the shark is just a, is just an animal and it doesn't, it doesn't know a grown man from a little boy. It just knows it's prey. And that's one of the things that's so terrifying about it. So that's, that's one thing it could do, but that's the thing is then we have, we've been introduced to the, the boy and his mother first, if only for a moment, the mother comes back after the boy is dead and confronts the police chief who let this happen by leaving the, keeping the beach open Uh, or at least allowing the beach to be open. So it's just like, so the boy's death is given weight. It's not merely another body in the count. Mm, And so, you know, to my knowledge, like Gene Siskel never had a problem with, with that. And so uh, even, even stuff that, that does bother me. And certainly like, as I was editing this documentary, I saw plenty of stuff that uh, where a little, uh, a younger kid is, is in danger and, and in some cases where a baby is in danger or killed and it really, it got me a little bit. Course, I felt like, yeah. okay, what is, yeah. what is the purpose of this? Um, but it was in films like the witch or Bram Stoker's mm. Dracula movies sure. that I do think have a lot going on. And so it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm good with this. This doesn't feel like it was done haphazardly. I feel like it was done very thoughtfully, but it is definitely something that I, as I get older and as I experience different aspects of life, uh, the more I see things from other people's perspective. And I'm sure once we get to, you know, once my kids are old enough to like watch stuff on their own, I might be a little bit more sensitive to what they watch. Um, Not so much that I would engage, that I would ever use VidAngel because I'm not a monster, (laughs) but, um, but uh, <laughs> I was just, li- I come was back, going come back that to the us, whole time. Yeah. Anyway, um, anyway, but that was, so, so that, that's something that I, that I became more aware okay. of just as far as my own sensitivity as a viewer, sure. but as far as, as far as films that, that, you know, kind of quote unquote, do it right, whether it be from the perspective of like, you know, uh, endangering a child or something like that, um, or just really exploring um, mm. good versus evil. There yes. are plenty. I mean, there, there are tons. I could, Countless, I could name, yeah. I could name way more of those than right. I can movies that, that are superficial. There are plenty of movies that are superficial, but frankly, I feel like I probably haven't seen very many of them. Whereas yeah. in the, in the, in the critic community community, like every year, it feels like there's one or two horror movies that they say, like, you've got to see this. Uh, and then you see it and you're like, yeah, there's something special going on in, in this. Uh, whereas like the more mindless films, nobody is saying you got to see this. So I don't see That's it. Um, so yeah. the, there is an entire, and, and our, our narrator for, and host for the the film, his name is Bill Oberst Jr. He's made literally hundreds of like low budget horror movies that he would, he himself would say are uh, kind of borderline as far as like just pure exploitation, as opposed to like maybe trying to really do something. Sure. Um, so they are out there. Uh, yeah. I'm just not super aware of a lot of them. 
Sure. Yeah, but you know, there's a lot of terrible romances. And, of course. You know, we all get told watch the good ones because you can explore love and intimacy. Yeah. Right. Why would you judge an entire genre off the worst <laughs> romance you saw in Hallmark? Okay. Right. I'm sorry. No so, one. No, no one take that <laughs> personally. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think I think no. That's an excellent point. I think particularly with the. I mean, this is one thing way that people can can judge also. Like you made an excellent point is if I'll look at some of them that the critics are saying are really good because at the very least. You know, they oftentimes the critics will there'll be something there worth exploring if that's something that you're interested in. Um, mm. If you're looking for something like that, that that is that if you're looking for what ones are dealing with those, that's something a way a place you can start because you're right. Oftentimes critics it, they will be they'll mostly recommend it if it is something that has is at least interested in exploring things more deeply. Well, um, I'm also. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was, I was going to say is I think for for me one of the things the ways that I'm sort of now judging kind of the the uh, positivity or negativity of horror from now is is where where they put the catharsis um mm. you know is sort of where because like you kind of explore the the um the jason uh, is like the catharsis the mo moment of emotional satisfaction where everything that's being anticipated and then it's yeah. released is where they kill and they kill in a way that is um uh trivializing of the human celebratory a celebratory yeah. of the humanity because it's like okay these are not you don't care about these people you're having fun with these i would put like again like i even thought as artistically good as it was i felt that way about the first soft film the soft films yeah. where it's like you know your moment of emotional satisfaction release and catharsis is when the villain wins you know essentially those those are parts of that where there's movies like that on the other hand you got movies like you know the 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 first you know first it of the new ones, which is or the you know Invisible mm. Man or the recent Invisible Man, um, which and in, you know you and especially when you get to the um, you know gets things like The Exorcist or Conjuring films, where evil like moments of catharsis are the triumph over evil. Yes. Uh, Evil is used as this is something to be scared of, not celebrate. The reason yeah. that we're using this is because this is supposed to scare you because of how bad it is. It's and also the, meant to be fought. It's also meant right, to exactly. be right. to do do war with. Right. Exactly. I was gonna I say all yeah. through scripture. Yes. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, yes, be scared of, but also stand up to. Yes. Um yes. and there's there's usually a character uh that will do that in those right. Lines. And I think one of the things, again, from sort of a, a faith-oriented perspective, um, What's interesting about that is that usually the evil is is a is something that is for the most part it's it's a part of us but also alien like it's not a part mm -hmm. of the good world whether it's like a demonic spirit that's entering in to the things or whether it's you know the you know Mike Myers like he's this you know this evil force that's entering usually it's which I think is really interesting from a Christian perspective that sin is something that's not a initially supposed to be part of the created order it's something's something, gone wrong something's gone wrong yeah it must it. be set right um, yeah and i think that you know again it, it's like and and i think that that's that's fascinating just again how you have then these people either whether it's you know a priest in um in the exorcist or conjuring stories or whether it's you know like scientists of some kind you know, like in, in something like, you know, poltergeist or whatever that it's like, okay, there's something that's positive in the created order that we're trying to help, that we're trying to help restore um, in this. I think that was one of the things I have very mixed feelings about the new Netflix series, Midnight Mass, um, because one of the things that's really good about it, I thought like, for the, and I'm not going to spoil anything, Nathan, because you haven't finished watching it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but um, a lot of what's good about it is that they do place 
sort of people who are religious and non-religious in a place where they're both looking at the world and saying, mm. I see the world differently, but we're looking at the same data and the same facts about the world, but there's something about our life experiences that have made it so that I see the world differently than you. And we're wrestling with that and struggling with that. Now, I think that where they end up is not necessarily a good place for a lot of reasons, but I think that that I was so I was more inspired by what the horror genre was capable of by watching that, by saying, by forcing people to confront something that was scary, but we all have different ways of interpreting it. That was very often unknown to uh, the unknown. Right? Yes, that's an excellent point. That is showing me, oh, yeah, horror is a place where you can then bring these conversations to the surface to say, we are trying to wrestle with the same stuff. We come to different ideas of what it could be, both religious and non-religious people. So that's, those are things well, where I think one, like examples of, oh, sorry, I've just, that oh, yeah. examples of, of what I've seen good that the horror genre can do when it's good, when it is uh, versus, and how it how can help us understand people of faith. Because that was the other thing of Midnight Mass. It really was able to have people say, oh yeah, because of this stuff, I can understand why you see the world this way. That I think that um, horror genre has done that in ways that other places have not. Yeah, and 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 I'm going to add one thing before we wrap up, wrap up about kind of my origin story of loving scary movies mm. and why actually they kind of mean something to me. They're not just the same, oh yeah, I just got into that genre. You know, if it, if any of our listeners um, know much about my story, but my books, they know that I dealt with mental illness from a very, very young mm. age. And for me, horror movies became this parable or metaphor or personification very often mm. of what I was experiencing in my own head. So when I would go to bed tonight, uh, when I go to bed or, and, and I was sitting in the dark and I was in my own mind, I was fighting monsters in my mind. I was fighting monsters 24 hours uh, a day. I was living with the reality of a haunted house mind. And so when I saw horror films and I saw someone who was existing with evil, very often it, it revolves around an evil living in the space of the, of the protagonist. And so I would see the protagonist encountering evil and wanting, wanting to set things right and, and, uh, like we mentioned earlier, in, encountering the evil, but also standing up to it, like you mm, said, Tyler, yeah. um, it was encouraging to me who was dealing with really severe mental illness because I saw the ugliness uh, uncovered the ugliness yeah. of the world and, and the monsters I was experiencing personified in this metaphorical tale. Um, but I also saw the main character who I could connect to rising up and defeating these monsters or yeah. at least standing up to them. And so that was something that actually really funnily enough, um, comforted me as a kid yeah. who was dealing with mental illness. Horror movies actually comforted this young kid who was dealing with mental illness because the extreme nature of the visual uh, monsters was the only thing that really matched the extreme yeah. nature of the reality of the monsters in my head. And so I know it sounds weird, but horror movies comforted me. And there, there's something that to me is really important actually taught me a lot about God and actually encouraging my faith that I could stand up to these things. And that when in watching stories about people confronting monsters and, and evil, um, that was something that I could do as well. They, they actually caused me to um, confront the the difficulties in my life with more bravery. And I think I love what you said there, and I want to take I want to take what you said, and I want to combine it with uh, something else that you said, which is the concept of of toxic positivity. I am mm -hmm. yeah. um, also somebody who who struggled and continues to struggle with with mental illness, specifically um, uh, an occasionally uh, crippling depression. And 
and it's when you're in that position, it's it's so isolating because yes. other people, even if they are, even if they have the best of intentions, they can't totally understand what it's like. What why is he right? Why does he think that this thing is true when in fact it's so obviously not? Mm-hmm. Uh and so it's a very isolating thing. And then, you know, in in my case, if you if you act on that, because I've I've definitely had uh suicidal tendencies of varying degrees. Um, and when you act on that, people really don't understand. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I wouldn't expect them to, uh, but comfort can come from such strange places. And sometimes, yeah. sometimes comfort, uh, is just the acknowledgement. And so, uh, I, I'm going to bring up so I, something I, I said recently on my, on my other podcast, uh, battleship retention, um, the unfortunately late Norm Macdonald was probably my favorite stand-up comedian and he has a bit where uh it's a fairly recent bit in which he said he was talking about suicide and he said you know people say like oh i it's like i just don't understand how anybody could ever do that mm. and he goes you don't <laughs> like he like he leads with that and then he goes he goes what do you live in a i'm trying to remember because he goes what do you live in a cotton candy house and he's like he goes you don't know about life, how it just always <laughs> disappoints and gets worse and worse until it mm. ends in a catastrophe. And so now, obviously, he's not advocating for suicide, but he is at least saying, like, you know what? Like, I know there's the thing that we're all supposed to say. I know that the positive aspect of life is that we cannot we don't want to contemplate the negative and that this is a hard hard world yeah. for a lot for a lot of yeah. people if not and sooner eventually it's a hard world for everybody in some capacity and that pain is something that some people want to escape and this mm. might be the only way they can think of to do it not that that justifies it right. but let's at least acknowledge that and yeah. that moment i felt so where for the briefest of moment it's the person that couldn't understand that was mm. the butt of the joke as opposed to the yeah. person who was crazy, the person who, uh, who yeah. imagined things uh, in a different way. And like the, it was the person who refused to imagine, the yeah. person who wanted to cling to a certain kind of positivity. They were the ones that for a moment had the stigma to them and not the person who, who just feels so far outside of things. And I felt it's such a common thing to say, but like I felt very seen in that yeah. moment. Yeah. And in the same way, like there are a lot of, of, of horror movies where a lot of the subtext is, uh, whether it be from a narrative standpoint or a stylistic standpoint, it's, it's not subtext anymore. It's just text. Um, and in those moments, you know, you just watch those and you're like that, that boy, this resonates with mm. me. I've seen this kind of ugliness before and I, and I immediately relate to it. And, and I understand that people one way or another don't, they don't want to confront that because, yeah. And I understand because I think they, some people understand it's like, I'm going to have to cr- confront this eventually in some capacity. Sure, yeah. I prefer to not do it unnecessarily. Yeah, be it on my terms. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I, I get that. But at the same time, I do genuinely think that like art in general and even something with that is as extreme as horror can absolutely, I'll say prepare, I might even say fortify us mm, to yeah. understand mm. the darkness of, of the world and beyond and, and fight so, it. and fight yeah. it. And yeah. And it, like, you have to, there's that wonderful scene in, in Patton, uh, where, <laughs> yeah. he, 
where he he uh, he his his enemy Erwin Rommel uh, has written a book about tank warfare, and Patton's like, well, he read he wrote a book about it, and he's my enemy, so he just read it, and then he he's like, well, I kind of know his strategy now. And so there's that wonderful <laughs> bit where yeah. George C. Scott, I'm gonna swear a little bit, he goes he goes Rommel, you magnificent bastard, I read your book, and <laughs> and that's the thing is like now you could say that you know with the you could say Satan, you magnificent bastard, I read your book, uh, and you can mm-hmm. talk about like the Bible and stuff, but it could also be like just understanding yeah the various ways that evil can demoralize us sometimes yeah. it's a spiritual thing sometimes it's a mental thing sometimes it's a physical thing whatever it is uh that i think that understanding is the first step towards figuring out how you are uniquely qualified to fight against it well and in 12 oh. step programs the first thing they have you do is admit mm-hmm. you ha- there's a problem because you can't com- you can't face the problem or, can- or or fix it until you admit it's there so horror movies say the dark is here it's bad now it's confronted so yeah. i yeah i fully agree love it awesome. That's awesome fantastic all right well now we will move on to our uh our classic segment the blesses and curses where we bless a piece of art resource or media related to our topic and say we want to uh recommend this or want to curse this to tell you to stay away from it so uh, we always invite our guests to participate if they would like um so on either of those or neither of them so uh tyler do you have a bless and or curse or would you like us to go first and you go last or how do you like i i'd say you go first i'm oh, yeah, i'm cool. de- i'm debating a few and so okay. I'll, I'll let you guys go first sounds, sounds oh. good. okay I'll, I'll go first then I, I've, got, I've got a couple so you know obviously for people who are i've got a couple categories here like for people who are um you know particularly christians but anyone who wants to like dip their toe into the horror genre and say okay what value does this have and how can it be a positive force for me um in exploring faith and stuff like that um and positively i would recommend uh the conjuring movie franchise i think is sort of a good amen jumping on point because it is very good clearly about the heroes who are trying to fight the darkness and it, you can really clearly see how um that fact you know, our darkness is alien, but you can let it into it through your own um, your your own issues you're not dealing with, and then the obligation to confront those, oftentimes from confronting your own inner darkness, getting rid of the outer darkness. So it's and a it's, great. It's also about historical characters who right. were tasked with uh, by the church actually to go and take care of demon spirits right. and investigate these things. I'm sh- there's a lot of liberties taken, but it, <laughs> it is still what? about historical figures who Hollywood are fighting the dark. Liberties yeah. and historical, yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, shocking. No, so yeah, they, absolutely. So that would be a good jumping on point, I think, for people. Um, you know, I've brought up a few things, the things like, you know, the it chapters and the recent Invisible Man that I think do a really good job. Because we brought this up so often, I'm going to bring up the, um, the actually the reboot of the Halloween sequel Halloween series that was in um, 2018, which is like, you know, it's the return of Michael Myers to town. And one of the things I think that does really well is the entire thing really is about what happens when people who are not willing to confront evil encounter mm. evil because they're quick over and over talking saying no myers michael myers is evil and that's something but everyone wants to say oh they want to say well that evil is evil so he's fascinates me so you have a podcast people who come in and yeah. say they want to they want to say make him something that they can kind of you know mm. have fun with then you have the you know the psychiatrist who wants to uh reduce it to mental illness that he can understand and then the understanding of it that becomes a problem there so everyone wants to demean it or make it something they can't control 
And then they already know this evil thing is evil and it needs to be confronted. And they kind of confronted and it doesn't. Yeah. So, they, so that the people who want to have toxic positivity and then, you know, want to are, be, are the people who can't stand up to evil when it comes. So I think that's an interesting, that's um, given we've talked a lot about that. I think that's really cool that they, they made a film that was really all about that. Um, as a, a curse, again, I, I'm going to, I know that Tyler Smith doesn't want to, you know, uh, banish an entire uh, entire genre or group of films, but I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to banish in general sort of torture porn films like the Saw franchise, like the Friday the 13th franchise. I think that there is something to, if you're going to a movie where the fun of it is getting emotional satisfaction off of uh, the triumph of evil or the um, or the dehumanization of people. Um, I think that that's, and I can't say I've seen all of them. So you're right, Tyler Smith. There are some that maybe do deeper things and do, but I, you know, I've seen the first two Saw films and I see, I've seen the Jason. It's like those films that do that and those particular films, I think I, I'll curse those because I think that's, that's not good for me to get uh, a get a taste for that kind of kind of blood. So I would say those would be um, what I would uh, what my blesses and curses would be. Quick quick thought. Yes, um, which is even if there is a series or a movie uh, horror or otherwise yeah. that you think is like, well, this has no redeeming social value. Sure. The you can still be academic about it, and oh, you yes. can ask. Why was True. this made? When? Why was this yeah. made? And when? And why did it do so well? Yes. Now it's it's a very common the you know the, the idea of slasher movies coming out and like like really doing well in the yeah. Reaganite eighties, where on one hand you had Charles Bronson who's going around and like yeah killing people who who break the law. It's like that's not that different really from Jason Voorhees, except these teenagers are just committing hedonistic sins right uh and so it's just like okay uh it's hard to know if anybody saw the movies for that reason but there might there is that idea yeah. of maybe there's something underneath uh and with the saw movies and hostile and all the like they're like it's interesting when torture porn came about yeah. which was like the the bush era and i don't mean to put anything down on uh, reagan or bush but like larger conversations about torture sure uh and about ideological uh, ideological uh uh idea uh ideologically motivated uh killings and yeah. and that sort of thing like there's there's a reason uh, there's undoubtedly a reason that those flourished when they did no i will i will i will, I will say that you can watch almost anything, I will not say anything, but almost saying as an act of empathy, sure. as a way of, I want to understand this, just like, you know, again, Patton who reads, you know, his yeah. enemy's manual say, okay, I want to understand this person better so I can love them better or I can protect myself better or whatever. And that is certainly true. That is certainly true. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to undercut your point because no, I'm still cursing I, it, I, I also don't, it, yes. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's the, it's the fun of criticism in academia is, and in the spirit of overthinking things, yes. it's like even the stuff that you don't think is very good and might not actually have a lot of value still has academic value. Yeah. Uh, There's something to be it, learned. Here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I, I totally agree. Um, for blessing for me, this is really hard because I do encounter a lot and part of me wants to go class and be like, Oh, the shining, of course, part of me wants to go modern to this. So I don't really know what to do, but I'm going to say the last movie that really was like, Whoa, really affected me um, in a new way. And this is a few years ago now, but I, I really enjoy might be the wrong word, but hereditary was a really 
I hesitate to say, but beautiful movie. And listen, um, this is this is a disturbing film. This, yeah. if, if, if you are not ready um, for these kind of things, if you have not dipped your toe and even like the slightest thing, this is not the movie no. to watch. It is disturbing. But I do think, well, one on an aesthetic level, it's it's cinema. It's beautifully, beautifully filmed. Um, the acting is superb. Um, I love the writing. I've heard people disagree with me, but I think it's, it, it's, it's great writing. Um, but also for me, it's a really interesting exploration of humans and how we react and how we live life and how we yeah. live in our worlds and how we face pain and how we yeah. face regret. And I think it's a really heavy and dark exploration of that and what it looks like, but it's also, it, it fully personifies and shows the monster. Um, yeah. and I'm speaking figuratively. So I, I, that's a, that was one that sticks out in my mind recently. Yeah. Cause there's a million good ones that I could suggest that a lot of people already have, yeah. but and they're good and you should watch them. But I, yeah, I will also say in, in, um, just as a, a piggybacking on that, uh, you know, I, I like I like the other movie Midsummer better, but like one of the thing that Hereditary does really well is show how grief because we often see people going through grief yes. and coming out of it, but really this is a good job of showing how grief can twist you if you don't yes. if you don't yes. handle it rightly. You well, know? this leads me to my next bless. I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a movie, a book, and a game because um, okay. I like all of these things. So. Uh, the book, um, I found it before it was cool. I just got to say that because uh, this <laughs> author, but uh, I'm thinking of Ending Things by Ian Reid is the mm -hmm. book. Um, I didn't enjoy the movie. I'm sure uh, Tyler and Joseph have many, many thoughts on the movie, but the <laughs> book is absolute. the way it's written, one, is just, um, I, I'm using all these hyperbolic words, but it is revolutionary how he writes it. And what it really is, it's you're inside the mind uh, of someone who is going through grief and loneliness. And again, it comes back yeah. to this and what it means to see um, uh, to see love broken, yeah. to see belief and hope broken. And, but it, it puts you inside the mind. So it's this exploration yeah. of how humans are and deal with this. But, you, but the way it's written is you just never know where you are, what's going on. But it's also at the same time, you totally click in and get it. You totally understand everything. Even in the, the chaos, you understand what it feels like to experience chaos. So it's a, a fantastic book. It is scary, um, but it's, it's a horror book in a way that's not typical. It's not usual. It's not, oh, there's a ghost here. Um, the humans are the ghosts. And it's, it's, I highly recommend if you, it's, I call it philosophy fiction. It's my own little, um, uh, name for these kind of books. Um, yeah, a, a little abstract, but it makes you think. Um, but also, it's just fun. Uh, and then game. Oh, there's a lot of fun games. Uh, Alan Wake is a great one. Um, uh, I still like Outlast. But uh, um, I'm going to bless the, 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 it's called the Dark Pictures Anthology. And this ah, is a really yes. fun game. And so uh, I'm a gamer, as many people know. My wife is not, but she always wants to take part because uh, she she likes watching. And so this has, it, I'm really just blessing us on the fun fact and the creativity of the, of the medium. Um, you can pass the controller to even who, people who don't play video games can understand. It's not like a quick, you have to react and shoot. It's a, um, you each get different characters to play. And based yeah. upon your choices, um, 
the story will be different, how it ends up. If you survive, if you don't, obviously they're kind of classic horror tales, you know, monster or ghosts or whatever it might be. There's a, there's a few different versions of the anthology, um, but they're really fun to play. They're, the aesthetic is amazing. The actors, you get real actors. This is where actually one of Remy Malik's first um, roles when it was in their first game. And um, it's just, they're really fun because you get to play different characters. But I will say there is value here because at least the intent with the medium is to show you how choices matter and how yeah. what you do, how you treat people, how you speak to people, the decisions we make will actually affect our stories yeah, in the, a meaningful the, way. The first most famous of the, the Dark Pictures anthology series is Until Dawn. Yeah. Um, so the so if people might might know it better by by that name. So the Until and it, Dawn. And I never was able to play it where um I played it twice and both times. The goal is to try to have everyone live by the end survive, of the night. Yeah. Until survive, yeah. Survive until dawn. Yes. And uh I've never done it. So uh, I keep on making the wrong choices or uh doing something wrong. Yeah. Uh, but so if you ever wanted to fun. know if you would survive a horror movie, this is yeah, you could know. Yeah. yeah. Um and you're and I've never had all my characters. Um, so and it's always pleasing to watch the whoever's sitting next to you play their characters and haha you died uh, which is maybe not a christian uh, thing but it, it is fun um my curse there's a lot to curse oh man there's there's terrible horror movies um i've seen christians attempt horror um <laughs> like it's specifically the faith-based genre and they're not great i, I don't know if you remember this does anyone remember the movie hangman's curse does I, anyone I, remember this movie i did not watch it that's it was it's connected with frank peretti yes yeah, it was one of the first attempts. It wasn't great, um, but I remember that. So I, I don't even want to curse it. I just that's kind of popped in my head. But I will curse. It's a, uh, it's a series action. It's called one of the best ever, and it's um, oh shoot, what's it? What is it? Uh, Wreck record, and it's a, it's a, it's found footage. I really everyone said it's so great, so scary. I did not enjoy it. I wish I had deeper like reasons why I didn't enjoy it. And I'm sure I could, could pull them up and, and, and think about it more, but I just, the worst of it to me was I was bored. I got bored. And, mm -hmm. um, and if there's one sin that a horror movie can make for me, it's that it's boring. And this was ultimately boring. I know that people love it and I'm sure there are good reasons to, I did not. Um, so yeah, those are my blesses and curses. So Tyler. All right. Well, uh, so I've got two blesses mm -hmm. and then an indirect bless leading into a curse. And then mm. I also have a game. Nice. Um, nice. So we'll lead off with a film that nobody saw. We'll see. Uh, because it was extremely low budget. Uh, I wouldn't have seen it if a friend had who knew the filmmakers hadn't said, hey, you should go see this screening. And so I went. And since then, I've seen it multiple times. Please don't so much say so my neighbor. Uh, no, I'm, I'm saving that for a rainy day. Okay, that's, um, good. that's good. That's good. Good choice. I'm but, right um, here guys. Uh, but no, uh, actually, and when the time came for the DVD release, uh, my co-host for battleship retention, David and I, like, we liked it so much that they said, Hey, would you guys like to do a commentary track for it? It's like, absolutely. Oh let's do it. So that's, that's not why i'm pushing it uh, obviously <laughs> i think the film is just amazing it's called entrance uh it came out in 2011 or 12 i don't remember exactly i saw it in 11 i think it officially came out in 2012 it's called entrance it is what you would refer to as a slow burn horror okay. where you don't actually know if there's a threat for a while mm. um and it's just this and it's 
it's just the, about this young woman who lives in Silver Lake. Uh, if you've ever lived in Los Angeles, you know where Silver Lake is. It's a very hipster kind of place. And she's a, a barista who maybe wanted to be an actress, but she's kind of giving up on that. And she's just kind of, she gets the sense that somebody is following her. Um, and she also feels kind of removed from everybody else. So she can't really turn to anybody. So uh, the film itself winds up being an interesting little uh, edict on uh, Los Angeles, the, hmm. the loneliness of it. And, uh, and the idea that uh, as, as Kramer said on Seinfeld, it's, it's LA, nobody leaves. Um, mm -hmm. And so I would say, give it a watch, recognize that quote unquote, nothing happens for a while, a good long while, but you need, but like stick with it. It's pretty amazing. Um, Interesting. So it's called entrance. Uh, and then uh, my next one is one that a lot of people have seen, but it was my favorite movie of 2014. And that's the Babadook. Um, really? Oh my, yes. Uh, I mean, with, with hereditary, like, you know, you, you want to talk about like grief becoming something that, mm, is, that, be, that yeah. is for lack of a better term, toxic, uh, you know, it, it's so interesting when you think about this sort of thing that like loss of a loved one, especially a spouse. I mean, I can't imagine what that would be like. Uh, and, and we see in movies, we see so many characters who just are not able to get over it. And obviously you never get over it, but they're not able to move on in a healthy yeah. way. Uh, and here you have this woman who has a young son and she obviously resents him uh, yeah. be because she'd rather he not be here and her husband be here or rather she'd prefer that her husband be here so they can both uh, uh, yeah. work, work on him. Uh, work on raising the son. Um, and that's, and, and, you know, as you watch it, so many people, cause I've shown it to a couple classes and they're like, Oh, the little boy is so annoying. You get to the end of the film and it's like, yeah, wouldn't you be annoying if mm. you're, if you're, your only parent clearly didn't like you very much. Yeah. Like mm, what, yeah. what impact would that have? And so essentially her grief and her resentment start to take on physical and supernatural qualities. And mm. I think it is a visually gorgeous film. I think it has such a fascinating thing to say about grief. And I won't, I won't, I won't spoil it, but like yeah. even its ending shows a tremendous understanding and a tremendous uh, uh, maturity, uh, especially for, for a horror movie where yes, there are a lot, there are plenty that go pr fairly deep, but this one goes even deeper Agreed. and I, I highly recommend it. And it's, it's creepy, but and great performances all around, just a solid film. Um, yeah. And then my half curse, uh, sorry, my half blessing so that I can get into my curse is that one of, so a top 10 movie for me is Ridley Scott's Alien. I think it's an absolute masterpiece. Classic. <laughs> I adore it. Yep. And as, And it's because I love it so much that I hate Alien Covenant so much, um, uh. which... Granted, there's good stuff in there. You can tell that Ridley Scott finds the robot stuff fascinating, and that comes through. And it is fascinating, and you get two really great performances by Michael Fassbender, but the rest of it, you, I'm astonished that it was made by the same filmmaker as the first yeah. one, and the same guy that made Blade Runner. But at the, at, at the same time, Ridley Scott has gone... He, he started as an auteur and then he turned into just kind of this journeyman who, who makes movies that occasionally are really good, but they don't bear any particular mark yeah. of mm. his. Uh, and so here he really did seem to be like, Hey, what if we just had 
an alien slasher movie because that's absolutely what it is. Just mm-hmm. you have characters making dumb decisions, abnormally dumb decisions, uh, and just the way that the alien uh, dispatches them. And then to me, like the worst thing was towards the end of the film, you have like these two characters who are like husband and wife and they, a lot of people have died and they ha- they have not, they're still together. And so they're on the spaceship seemingly safe. And so like they go to like take a shower together and they put on like romantic music and then, oh, the alien is there. Okay, fair enough. That's like a very classic uh, slasher thing. Here's the problem. It's towards the end of the film and the vast majority of characters have been killed by now. Look, I... Hey, if I were in that situation, I'd be thrilled that my wife wasn't, that neither uh, my wife nor I were killed and I'd feel very close with her. I don't know if I'd put on some R&B uh, yeah. and take a, take a romantic shower with her. It's entirely possible to, not to be crass or anything, it's entirely possible that in a moment like that, you might find yourself like making love because you you have that connection. And that's that's very possible. But setting this up as though it were like Valentine's Day. The scene, it's, it's, the it's candles so, and rose petals. Yeah, yeah. It's so tone deaf. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. well, what are you doing here, man? Like, yeah. The, In a Ridley Scott movie. Yeah. And, and not to mention at the very end, he incorporates some mythology stuff that kind of suggests that he uh, is not, he w- was never actually that happy with what uh, James Cameron did with aliens as far as like mm. uh, the life cycle of the alien. So it just seems petty. It seems shallow, except for the robot stuff, which again, clearly that was what he was interested in. Sure. And by extension, that's what I'm interested in. But the rest of it is just such a waste of time. Um, but, uh, and then my game, I am not a gamer, but back in the nineties, I played uh, computer games. They were called adventure games at the time. Mm. Um, and there was one that really stood out. And, uh, I mean, I, I liked a lot of them, but there was one that I, that I cite as like maybe one of my favorites is, uh, it's called Gabriel Knight sins of the fathers. Whoa. Um, I know it, this, I've never played it. Yeah. Oh my. It's so wonderfully structured, great voice talent, uh, wonderful music. And it's essentially, you play this uh, mediocre novelist living in new, in new Orleans who, uh, you also have a, a bookstore, uh, and you're researching, a. uh, a number of murders that are happening in the city right now that, are, that seem to be voodoo related. And the more you investigate, the more you get drawn into the case itself. Interesting. Um, it was, they did a, like a 20 year anniversary, like sort of a remake of it mm-hmm. that is visually still pretty solid and the music's still good, but like the voice acting isn't as good. And the mm. way that the tweaks they made to the story don't really make a lot of sense. Uh. Uh, so if possible, I would say like, uh, go and find the original Sierra game, Gabriel Knight, Sins of the Fathers, and uh, and give it a play because, you know, a- as you're drawn in, you are faced with really horrific imagery, and it's a very mm. it's a very uh, tense game as well. And uh, so, from a horror standpoint, that's why that's why I'm recommending. It has a lot of commonalities with the game uh, Indigo Prophecy, and I like mm. both of these. And I always wanted to play that one, but it takes place in New York. But yeah, the, I love those that kind of conceptual, and even oh. how it was played was interesting. Those they, there's nostalgia in just that it was a top down, and uh, yeah, it's such yeah. a such a huh. that's great. I need to go play yeah. it now. Oh, you oh, got to yeah. check it out. I I would love to know what you think. Awesome, very cool. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Tyler. Um, is there anything possibly? by any chance that you might want to promote or uh, something that you might want ways you might want people to get in touch with you. I don't like your tone. Here's why. 
because <laughs> someone else is new <laughs> because there's okay admittedly yeah. because now it feels v- vaguely accusatory i don't you i usually don't like it because it's so positive i want that in a toxic way um but but no just like do you have anything to promote and it's just like yeah what yeah, I do. It's not a sin to, to come on and, and talk about other things you have going. Big whoop. Want to fight about it? Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so I've, I'm have i I'm available various places. You can find me at battleshippretension.com along with morethanonelesson.com, which is a, a more than one lesson is a is a podcast that approaches film from a Christian standpoint. I don't do it as much as I as I used to simply because like, you know, you become a, a father of twins and something somewhere needs to give, <laughs> and it wound up being more than one lesson, but I still do it from time to time. And so the most recent episode, I talk about Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Um, mm. But, uh, and then you can find my documentary, Real Redemption, The Rise of Christian Cinema at Faith Life TV. And then my new one, uh, Shadow, sorry, Valley of the Shadow, The uh, Spiritual Value of Horror. That one is not yet available. It will be in a few weeks through the uh the streaming service rediscover television so very cool uh, lots of lots of places you can awesome awesome and i I highly suggest if you are a person of faith who also loves movies and want to know how these things uh combine intertwine intersect watch this guy's documentaries they really are good listen to the podcast he is kind of the expert on cinema and faith and how these worlds live and even complement each other so please do check out his stuff um listeners you will not be disappointed Awesome. Thank you. Very cool. Well, and so, uh, Nathan, if uh, people want to uh, get in touch with you, uh, where should they go? They can search my name on the socials or go to NathanClarkson.me. Fantastic. And you can find me on all the socials and find me at JustFilmStudios.com. Also, if you want to send a message to us, you can go to TheOverthinkersJournal.com and where we have our contact page. And of course, please join our online private Facebook group. Well, thank you very much, Tyler, for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. And remember, if it's worth thinking about, it's worth overthinking about.